0: Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Wrap. I am Bayless DeBrow. We thank VIN News for hosting our show. With the holiday of Purim coming up, we commemorate evil turning around to good. How apropos that today we have the pleasure of speaking with Esther Amini, who grew up in a Persian Jewish household. Esther wrote a heart-wrenching memoir titled Concealed where the reader can see that even though one can physically escape religious persecution, emotionally, they can still be in that same place. And in essence, the past is never dead. It's not even past. It becomes a part of you. Concealed speaks not only to Iranians and their first generation American children, but to every immigrant and descendant who feels that, that complicated push-pull of their legacy while honoring traditional customs versus breaking the mold and fighting oppression. Esther Amini is a writer, painter, and psychoanalytic psychotherapist in private practice. Her debut memoir is entitled Concealed. Kirkus Reviews anointed Concealed one of the best books of 2020. Katie Couric and Zibby Owens selected Concealed as one of their 11 favorite books and showcased this memoir on November 30th 2021 at the Stryker Center in Manhattan. Esther Amini's short stories have appeared in Elle, Lilith, Tablet, The Jewish Week, Barnard Magazine, TK University's InScape Literary, Proximity, Paper Brigade, and Medium.com. Her essays can also be found in Zibby's Owens anthology, Moms Don't Have To, as well as in Zibby's most recently published anthology, Moms don't have time to have kids. Esther Amini was named one of Aspen Word's Best Emerging Memorists and awarded its Emerging Writer Fellowship in 2016 based on her memoir, Concealed. Seven of her pieces have been performed by Jewish Women's Theater, The Braid, AKA The Braid, in Los Angeles and in Manhattan. And she was chosen by Jewish Women's Theater as their artist in residence in 2019. Chai Flix, which is Jewish Netflix, is presently streaming an excerpt from Concealed called Amrika. Esther Amini lives in New York City with her husband. Esther, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Thank you so much. Can you give us a brief summary of the book Concealed?
1: Of course. Uh, it really is about being born within two cultures that conflict against one another. I was born in New York City unto Jewish Iranian parents who came from the most fanatical Islamic city in all of Iran, and that city is Mashhad. Mashhad, a Shiite stronghold and a pilgrimage site with a long history of maiming and massacring infidels. Anyone who is not Muslim is called an infidel. Now, the reason this city Mashhad is considered the holiest city in all of Iran is because their ninth century Imam Reza is buried there and millions come to pay homage from around the world to Imam Reza. So you have this city that is intolerant of difference, and uh, actually persecutes and murders those who are different. And you have my parents living there as a crypto Jew. My parents lived there, my ancestors lived in Mashhad. The whole history of being crypto Jews goes back many generations. The Jews of Iran, of Mashhad, of the city of Nashad are often compared to the Muranos of Spain. Um, They led a life of duplicity, duality, paranoia for good reason. Um, And for example, and and this background is very important because when they came to the United States and I was born, even though I was born in Queens, New York, I was really born unto Mashhad and all the values and traditions of Mashhad. So back in the city of Mashhad, my mother had to wear a black chador. That is the burqa. Chador is the Persian word for burqa. Uh, she was cloaked in black from head to toe and could only peer through eye slits. So she looked like all the other Muslim women. And my father would pray in public squares five times a day alongside other muslims he knew the quran like the back of his hand even though he was a devout jew in the privacy secrecy of their own home they were what we would call today orthodox jews you know in iran they didn't have the denominations they didn't call it orthodox conservative reform mm-hmm. but my parents were highly observant and they would they are the equivalent of orthodox jews so you have that life. My two brothers were born there. And after World War II, my mother yanked up the family back to them to New York. And that's an odyssey of its own. Uh, it took over a year to arrive. Back then, after World War II, you could not jump on a commercial plane uh, in Tehran and get on TWA and come to New York. You had to get out via donkey foot get into india and from there uh, they were stuck in india for over a year and then they were on an american transport ship a marine ship and that brought them to california it was a saga which i wrote about and there's a lot of humor in the story as well um they arrive in new york and a few years later i am born uh so the story is about Growing up and navigating my way through, uh, my father wanted me very much to live the life that his mother lived, that all the women he knew, the Jewish women from Meshed, the way they lived and believed that that was correct, i.e. girls were married off at the age of eight or nine to men 20 years older than themselves. Did you say so- eight or nine? Sure, and you have to imagine this. My grandmother was nine when she was forced to marry her first cousin, my grandfather, who was at that time 29. So imagine a nine-year-old girl standing next to a 29-year-old man, and that's her husband. My mother was 14 when she was strong-armed into, my, into marrying my father, who was 34. Again, a 20-year age difference. And that was the norm in Mashhad. So here we are in New York and my father does not expect me to marry at the age of nine, but he certainly felt that by 14, 15, 16, I should be married. Also the girls in Mashhad were not allowed to step foot into a classroom. Remember they were married very young and they were kept illiterate. Uh, and that was valued. The belief system was that an illiterate girl will turn into an excellent wife. She'll be deferential. She won't have opinions of her own. She won't create conflict. Home life will be harmonious. So this was part of the formula. And, uh, and so my father was very much against me learning to read and write, uh, me attending school, And of course, he knew that in New York City, it was a law. At the age of five, you had to enter kindergarten, school begins. Uh, He was terrified of that influence and and how I had to hide books and how I had to hide my, my hunger for education. And and so I was really torn because I had a very strong allegiance to my family, and I wanted to maintain an alliance with my parents and my relatives. And at the same time, I wanted to be true to me and how to, how to balance those two needs. Um, the book has a lot of humor in it, uh, because when you have two cultures that conflict, Iran and America and two parents who are diametric opposites. My father was very withdrawn, a man of silence. Uh, and my mother was uninhibited, outrageous, irreverent, rebellious. So <laughs> between the two parents and the two cultures, I was raised by dissonance. Wow. And, and how I found my way through it. And there is a lot of humor, because you have a lot of Misunderstanding, you know, between the cultures, between the parents, um, and uh, especially my mother, who who uh, my friends used to call her a Persian anti mame They found they found her so colorful and theatrical and hilarious. Oh,
0: oh wow!
1: Um, so that's that's the synopsis in a nutshell. Right.
0: Esther, uh, why did you choose Concealed as the title, since the word concealed
1: has multiple meanings? Well, it took a while to figure out what it should be entitled. And it occurred to me that, A, my parents had to conceal their true identity. My ancestors had to conceal their true a- identity. I was named after my mother, who's, my mother's mother, whose name was Esther, And that goes back all the way to Queen Esther. Uh, So my mother also was naming me after Queen Esther. And in Hebrew, Esther also means concealed. And then I grew up in the United States. One would think above ground, not underground. And yet I had to conceal my own ambitious drives, my own thoughts, my own dreams. Um, and, uh, And so it does have multiple meanings.
0: Tell me, what was it like growing up in the free world as the daughter of Jewish-Iranian parents who suffered persecution?
1: It was confusing. It was rather confusing because I would step out of the house. Again, I grew up in Kew Gardens, Queens, and then Forest Hills, Queens in New York. And I attended public school, and I attended Hebrew school after public school, and I was seeing how these other children were being raised, and how um, important it was that they learn how to express themselves, and uh, form a strong identity, and pursue education to the degree that they want to. Um, and my father forbade books when it came to me, and uh, was determined to marry me off at a very young age. Um, and so I was an exceptional student. I did very well. And I Mm was, I was pulling straight A's from first grade through high school. And I had to hide my report card and I used to forge his signature. And I had friends who were forging because they were doing so poorly. And I was forging because my report cards were exceptional. And I knew that if he saw, he would have a meltdown. Wow, Uh, unbelievable. That must have been so difficult for you. You know, it was difficult, but when I look back, uh, it really did build character and it really developed my coping skills. And I think that in retrospect, um, obstacles can really strengthen certain muscles and can be the cause of growth. One can grow from obstacles. And I think in my case, and I think that's what you learn when you read Concealed, that uh, there are lots of ups and downs, lots of adventures, lots of wacky experiences. uh, But I came out feeling more solid. And um, I came out feeling I can, I can have an alliance with my heritage my my past my ancestry my parents and at the same time be my own person and i think obstacles are very useful if they are addressed correctly
0: wow that's that's very interesting so what compelled you to write concealed
1: oh uh i had many many reasons I come from a long legacy of concealment, as you know. I come from a long history of women who could not read and write. Uh, And I felt I needed to break the silence. I needed to defy Mashad, Mashad that was actually preventing women from becoming literate. I needed to give voice to those who weren't allowed to have a voice. men did not write their personal accounts because they were afraid to. I mean, you could not sit down and write a memoir in for, you know. Heaven forbid that manuscript be found because you're pretending to be other than who you are. So there wasn't a history of transparency uh, for good reason. And I felt that I had to. You know, here I am, I went off to college, I went to graduate school, I went to, I have postgraduate degrees, I became a therapist, and and I felt like it was up to me, the weight was on my shoulders, to tell the story of the Mashadi Jews, to tell my own story, uh, personally to make sense out of confusion, uh, and to rescue them from obscurity. Um, in the book, one can see that silence plays...
0: A major role in your life. Would you mind reading a short passage from your book to illustrate that point because I just, I felt that it played that major role.
1: It did. Uh, My father was a man of silence and he insisted when he was home, that no one talk. And, uh, of course, we did secretly privately, but around him, it was dead silence and this is like years and years of being raised this way. so I have a passage. Yes, please, of- please read us. Yes. Silence took root in me, and my need for solitude grew. On my eighth birthday, my eldest brother, Albert, bought me an easel, palette knife, canvas boards, tubes of Grumbacher oil paint. From then on, I spent Sundays in my room with alizarin crimson, burnt umber, Indian yellow, and phthalo blue. After mixing heaps of pigment, I'd scoop, fling, and scrape, leaving behind mom, pop, PS99, and any need for friends. I sailed into zones of shrieking colors that could not be heard by anyone other than me. Each U had a breath, pulse, and tongue of its own. In this soundless space, my paints spoke loudly, and I listened intently dabbling in portraits, landscapes, but preferring to lose myself in blissful, freedom-finding abstracts. I discovered I didn't want to put the world into words, that not every sensation had a matching name, not every image or impulse can be explained. I began to believe that spoken language was artificial, formulaic, forcing me to shoehorn feelings into sentences while losing so much in translation. I preferred the primal feel of paint. Paint that sang, cried, and killed. Paint that said I'm not rational, not civilized, not meatened up. I'm straight from the gut, muddy and messy. You can't tell me who I am. I'll tell you.
0: Wow. You know, I have no doubt, just just from reading your book, that why why concealed received so much praise. But why do you think concealed has received international praise and has been so well received all over? You know, we we spoke a little bit before the show began that it's not just people of Persian um, descent that would have an interest in in your book and would would be so so feel so connected but even people who are, who are of, of different nationalities and clearly concealed has received international praise and all over. So I can see why, but what is your opinion
1: and, and why do you think that is so? Well, firstly, I must say I, I am, I was surprised. I continue to be surprised. I get emails from around the world from people who are not Iranian, not necessarily Jewish, not necessarily female, saying, I identify. And you know, it stuns me because I think of, I thought of my story as being very specific and uh, kind of idiosyncratic. Um, And yet I've discovered it has universal appeal. I mean, I have received letters from men in Idaho uh, of totally different backgrounds. Saying, I read your book and I identified with you. And I'm thinking, whoa, you know, how come? And what I come up with in my own mind is that I think there is a universal appeal. A, it's an immigrant story. Uh, that feeling of being the outsider, uh, growing up here, speaking the language, but feeling like an outsider because of your family, because of your cultural background. Um, I think there's a basic skeletal structure to the book, which is saying what happens when you don't fit into the paradigm of one's family? I think that is a universal. Right. One, can come f- one can just feel different. You can have the same values and yet feel different. So what happens? And when you struggle with this, as I said earlier, I think there's an invitation for growth. Growth. And um, I think people relate to how you can have obstacles placed in front of you, you can have misunderstandings, uh, you can have trauma, you can have tragedy, but you can move through it and come out stronger and more informed and a little, to some degree, have a stronger sense of identity, a stronger sense of who am I? So I I think there is also the whole idea of being first-generation American. Uh, I think people coming from various backgrounds live in the United States and are first-generation American. And uh, there is that need to follow the grain in their wood and yet not want to alienate family. So I think there is that. I also think people are fascinated by Iran. Iran is always on the front page of newspapers. It's always on the news. Right? And then this wasn't the case when I was a child. Nobody knew who, what Iran was. They want to know where it is. Uh, Today, you say Iran, they nod, they understand. And then to learn that for generations there was a community of crypto-Jews living in Mashhad of all places, Um, the most fanatical, the most intolerant city. Uh, And how did they they persist? How did they pass Judaism on? Mm -hmm. How come they didn't die out? How come they weren't wiped out? How come they held on even more tightly? and I think there's that factor as well. I think there are many themes to the book and uh, it speaks to many different kinds of people. Wow. So what is going on
0: in Mashhad today as opposed to during your parents' days?
1: Well, you know, someone contacted me. She is a journalist who lives in Vienna. Recently, she went to the city of Mashhad because she's writing about the Jews of Mashhad, I have never been to Iran and so I was reading her report and she said to me, there is, as far as she knows, there are no Jews living in Mashhad right now. Um, I'm not an authority, but I can just repeat what she told me. There are Jews in Tehran, there are Jews in Shiraz, in Isfahan, in other cities, but because of the Nature of that city, Mashhad. It's impossible to live there openly as a Jew, and so um, and you know it just become more fanatical, much more fanatical than when my parents lived there. Uh, Now that the Shah is not in power, this is now post Khomeini revolution. uh, Jews, from what I understand, are not living in that city, and I also think I need to make a distinction. You may run into people from Iran and they'll tell you, oh no, that's not my story. It's not their story if they came from Tehran. Tehran was Paris in the mid 20th century when my parents lived in Iran. Tehran was cosmopolitan. Affluent families were sending their Jewish daughters to Switzerland, to boarding schools in Switzerland, and then from there to the Sorbonne in Paris to be further educated at the very same time as The Jews in Mashhad were kept out of classrooms and kept illiterate. The girls in Mashhad, Um, not the boys. Uh, And so it's a very different culture. So you need to always ask, what city did you come from if you meet an Iranian? Because the Jews of Tehran have a totally different story than the Jews from Mashhad.
0: So in your practice, do you deal with similar situations of people who have experienced trauma, from their background, what does what your uh psychotherapy practice uh, mainly focus on?
1: Well, I wouldn't say it has a main focus, I would say I've been doing this for over 40 years. I've been in private practice, uh, and also have taught for a psychoanalytic institute for many many years, and um, I work with be a wide range. I work with people who are depressed, who are anxious, who experience loss, who are having difficulties with their children, young children, adult children. Uh, I do marital therapy um, and I also work with senior citizens who are struggling with that stage of life, be it the end and feeling they need to consolidate and have a strong sense of what their life was about, or if they're going through loss and depression. Um, so it's a wide gamut. Uh, what was your first language? My first language was silence. <laughs> you know, I, I, think about it, I didn't start talking, uh, and nothing was wrong with me anatomically, although my mother thought something might be. She was rushing me from one doctor to another. Uh, she told me, and I have a foggy rec- recollection of it too. But I, there was so much chaos and confusion in the home um, that I think I was afraid to talk. Uh, and oh. my parents spoke in Farsi in the home. Okay. My brothers who are older than, than I am uh, would speak in English. They learned English very quickly. And, and so both languages were there. Uh, I think when I did finally come out of my shell, I would speak in English. Um, my mother would speak to me in Farsi, and I would answer her in English. Um, but I live in both worlds. Wow,
0: fascinating! This is on um, this is unbelievable. So, it's, um, I want everyone to read your book. Everyone must read your book. So, how can people get a hold of your book?
1: Sure, it's, it's called Concealed. as you know, it's written by Esther Amini, and you go on to Amazon and it's there. You can just click it. Uh, I'm also online. Barnes and Noble carries it as well. Um, and if you need to reach me, I have a website. It's called Esther Amini one word esther amini.com and there's a tab up on top for contact. You could always send me an email. And I'd be happy to hear from you and I will quickly respond.
0: We are out of time. Thank you, Esther, for this thought-provoking experience that you have shared with us. Uh, I am so grateful. And um, as I know, our audience is as well. Thank you to Vinus and to our audience for tuning in. And happy Purim, everyone. Bye-bye for listening to The Definitive Rap with your host, Bela Sebrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.